Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. She sat down and, you know, one of the very first things she said to me in that interview was, I'm not a good person. And I had not Mm. asked her, are you a good person? She just voluntarily said, I'm not a good person. And as a reporter, you're really used to getting that Mm. like amazing quote that you, you must've misheard. There's no way somebody actually said that. And so, you know, you have to verify. So I said, you mean you are a good person? And she's like, no, I'm not a good person. Welcome back to Fraudsters. I'm Cena Gazdavi at Cena Now on all social media. With me, as always, is my incredible co-host, Justin Williams, who, Justin, we almost lost you this morning to a brunch today. What's up? Uh, it's good to be back with you, Cena. Yes, I had to go to brunch in Brooklyn where we had to line up all of the newborn kids and exchange diseases with each other. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good. All the, just, yeah, everybody's running from the nose. Just as we get out of a pandemic, you want to get back to the normal cadence of exchanging uh, little baby diseases. Yeah, just some diphtheria, you know, that kind of stuff. We get all that stuff. The jaundice, whatever. Jaundice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give jaundice? I don't, I don't think you can. I don't know. Yeah, I don't well, hey, listen, uh, hit us up on our Discord. Hit us up on our uh, – I'm going to put the Discord link in my profile. We'll put it in the Fraudsters profile. People are asking about it. It's popping off in the Discord. Come over there. Uh, we're going to do a lot of fun stuff there. Uh, if you want to text with us, 412-285-1255. Of course, email us, fraudsterslpn at gmail.com. Justin, today's episode, I mean, we are going back to season one a little bit to one of our favorite Fraudsters, which I'm super excited about. Anna Sorokin, a.k.a. Anna Delvey, did, was that she moved to New York in her early 20s and slid into the proverbial DMs of New York City's elite. Over the course of a couple years, she managed to cultivate a reputation as a German trust fund baby, which enabled her to seek out millions of dollars in loans from financial institutions like Citibank and Fortress under the pretense of creating the Anna Delvey Foundation. Uh, Basically, it was the Soho house for an exclusive group of artists, but it was also supposed to help young, underprivileged artists. I don't know. Justin, if you could Google review the 
and a Delvey Foundation that wasn't? What would you What would you do? I would be like most online reviews. Uh, I would take out my personal agenda or like give it a bad review based on something that you know this you know the place doesn't even like offer anyway. You know, so I'd be like Anna Delvey Foundation. Don't even have pizza or ice cream or robots. One star. One star. Anna Delvey Foundation is is racist. <laughs> It uh, doesn't exist yet. Yeah, the, the, the identity politics thing to try to get it in trouble. Uh, for our listeners, you don't remember, they tried to do that to us because, you know, uh, uh, people heard the first episode and thought we were two white guys. And uh, this user wrote this long yeah. essay that it was like, to hear these two white men mock a powerful black queen like Miss Cleo was one of the most racist things I've ever experienced. <laughs> it's like... And then that same person had to follow up later. I think a couple weeks later, they were just like, I, I, I looked at this again and I realized they are not two white men. I am sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was also a white person. That was so funny being yeah, called like a racist so- by a white person. It was so great. All right. So last season, we did a whole series on Anna in which we spoke extensively to journalist Emily Palmer, who covered her trial and did dozens of interviews and phone calls with her since her conviction in 2019. We talked about how Anna got folks to trust her with a little sleight of hand. She befriended like the little people who had significant power in their one niche spot. And so for her, it was, you know, the receptionist at the hotel who might do something a little funky with her card or whatever it was that needed to happen so that she didn't end up actually having to pay. And she kept people happy, right? You know, the people that helped her were rewarded in in many instances. You know, she didn't have a lot of money, but because she wasn't really spending anything on housing or anything on all these other things, right? She would throw out a $100 tip like it was, you know, candy. And how she used a method called check cutting to maintain her stays in luxury hotels. And I can assure you folks, we are the only podcast on the internet that went this deep into what check cutting is. Just imagine you're in a field A cool autumn breeze glances by your soft hair. You look up. You're flying a kite. This is a $100 rose gold kite we're talking about here. But you look around and you're, oddly enough, between two banks. The first bank is called Harmful National Bank. And the other one is called Shameful Savings and Loan. Luckily, you have an account at both. And even better, you know how checks get cleared at both banks. Three business days. But these two banks make all the funds available right when you deposit the check. How convenient. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, her childhood was something. Very little is known about her her childhood. She was born in Domodedovo, Russia, which is just outside Moscow. And then the family moved to Eschweiler, Germany. Just Dumbledore. Wasn't that Raekwon's third album? Dumbledore? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I mispronounced that too. But, you know, then she moves to Paris and that's where everything starts. But our very first question to Emily was a common one. Who is Anna? First of all, how do you name her or how do you describe her name or what what do you refer to her as so that we can at least have a common sense way? Because even in our file names for the show, I have changed it several times in multiple places. What is her name? 
Well, it's Anna Sorokin, but I mean, I also interchange it with Anna Sorokin, Anna Delvey. Uh, I mean, she really is both people to, to such an extent that at one point my editor thought she might be schizophrenic and actually believe she were both people, which is not the case at all. I had a very awkward jailhouse interview where I said, so sometimes you feel like you're this one person and sometimes you feel like you're this other person. And she looked at me and she's like, I'm not schizophrenic if that's what you're trying to ask. Um, <laughs> so offended. Right. But, uh, but she really is, is sort of both people. And the judge said, Anna Delvey or Anna Sorokin, pick which one you want to be. Cause you're going to jail. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> on next week's on fraudsters court. So, you know, Justin, we're not actually the only ones who tried to answer the question of who is Anna in 2021. This is what, this is what I love. Anna actually was released in prison, and before she was sent to ICE detention center, 60 Minutes did a sit-down interview with Anna herself to better understand how she saw herself. But, Justin, we're talking about 60 Minutes here, right? This is unheard of when it comes to some basic fraudster. What she did was not, she didn't have a a Bernie Madoff-level scam. She didn't steal all that much money from people. It was only a couple hundred thousand dollars at the end of it. I mean, we're talking about 60 minutes here. Presidents, fucking Yasser Arafat. We're talking about, you know, heads of state. And then Anna Sorokin. But, you know, let's hear what they had to say. She pretended to be the daughter of a German billionaire about to strike it rich with an imminent inheritance. You've been described as a con woman, very good con artist. I don't see myself as such. You don't think you've conned anybody? No, I'm not this person who is like trying to trick her way into stuff. Like I just asked them and they either said yes or no. It's like I had no idea what was going on. So just like I kind of like <sighs> did things. Do you see this whole thing as a victimless crime? I don't see this case as a crime at all. How about that? How can you not see it as a crime? What, what was that so criminal that I've done? I mean, you wouldn't want people to aspire to be a fraudster, would you? I'm not a fraudster, so I wouldn't know. I like how just like uncritical people are when she's just like, it's not a crime. It's like, yeah, it is a crime. That's why you're in jail. No, but the people were rich. It's not a big deal. The people were rich. By the way, uh, if you're playing the fraudsters drinking game, you got to drink every time someone else other than us says fraudster. So get to drinking, everybody. <laughs> well, you don't want to be a fraudster, do you? Unless you want to join our podcast team then it's good to be a fraudster <laughs> Anna was actually you know she was pretty active on Instagram I think she probably had someone posting for her but she was uh, she was active in around that time making her own kind of like bravado rich statements to her character you know Justin I think it'd be fun if you if you read some of these in your best Anna Delvey impression here's one of her Instagram updates it says sociopath I see that as a compliment <laughs> now uh, I guess it's supposed to be sassy but maybe uh, I'm just thinking maybe she doesn't know words like maybe she thinks it's socialite <laughs> like a path of path forward for a socialite yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yes that's right my social path is to the top because I'm Anna Delvey and it's like no that's not what that means uh, good just the night we got another one for you here's another Instagram post it says I own this lawless fucking city also interesting she doesn't understand words uh, yet again she's in prison yeah so there so it turns out there were laws and then uh, <laughs> I don't think she owns it because she's in an ice detention center. It's <laughs> yeah, not, it's not yeah, exactly yeah. top of the heap that Frank Sinatra was talking about in New York, New York. <laughs> when he said, if you can make it there, you can make it there. I don't think making it there meant 
going to prison there. If you can make a toothbrush into a stabbing weapon there, you can make one into a stabbing <laughs> weapon anywhere. One more. One more. We got this next one. Then here's another. Uh, it was the prosecutor's job to make me look bad. But in the end, they got upset for how famous I got over it. Again, this is one of those things where people like I, the Internet just shows like now there's no such thing as like good fame or bad fame in the Internet area, which I find like kind of interesting. This is like Kanye West bragging about like pushing Pete Davidson off Instagram. He's like, yeah, see how me and my fans successfully harassed my ex-wife's husband off the Internet. Isn't that cool, everybody? And it's like, no, that's not cool, bro. Yeah. Yeah, and so she thinks it's like cool to be famous for anything. I mean, it's like it's like OJ being like, I'm now way more famous than I was playing football. It's also why is it always about you? It's not about you. You you stole money from a lot of people, and albeit they're rich people that we don't necessarily feel very sympathetic about. There's still people you broke laws. You're gonna go to prison for it. I'm like, I was, it wasn't even like, oh, you made a bad business deal. You were uh, uh, like wildly lying across the board. So. I don't know. I don't feel bad for her at all. I mean, I think she's she's full of it. But, you know, I will say she's probably fun to party with. <laughs> yeah, it's just like she's just the, the friend that you know is a liar. It'd be fun to have her around under the thing that nothing she says is real and just to marvel at how she keeps trying mm. and just like mm. have drinks and go, whatever, Annie. Yeah, yeah, well, we got you. Yeah. Oh, you're going to build a center. You need 200K. Yeah, we'll get that to you next week or whatever, you know. Have it's drink. like, wow, this Molly is really hitting, Anna. Wow, you sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this year, the much-anticipated Shonda Rhimes dramatization of Anna's story called Inventing Anna finally aired, which also attempted to answer this question uh, of who is Anna. The series, rather than following Anna as the protagonist, great move by Shonda Rhimes, by the way, follows the fictionalized journalist Vivian Kent, who was based on Jessica Pressler, the journalist who first wrote extensively about Anna Sorokin. Now, we obviously binged watched the entire show because we're a research-based podcast. We take our job very seriously, so we all spend eight hours watching Netflix. And at the time of this recording... Netflix uh, has the show at number one, which is wild. And because we know the amazing Emily Palmer, who really has such wonderful reporting on Anna Sorokin and did so many interviews with her, we asked if she might be willing to join us again for yet another interview with us uh, to unpack the show and get her take on who Anna is now after she's been through all you know, prison, now in ICE, and everything. Despite having just come off a whirlwind week of publishing a series of articles on Anna and inventing Anna, she graciously accepted our invite. We hope you enjoy the interview. Emily Palmer, thank you so much for joining us again here on Fraudsters. This is the second time you've been on the show. I like to say we knew you when. You were just a, a regular reporter trying to do your beat, covering Anna Sorokin. Now you're a celebrity. You're a, a A-list reporter a good, <laughs> doing things all over the country. You're a German Great heiress. Thanks. You're a German heiress. I think You're I would just like to interrupt right now and say I did not write that script. <laughs> well, thanks so much for, for joining for real. I mean, it's been so cool to to know the real story through your reporting as we've watched the show and stuff. Um, I'll just dive right in here. You know, for people that don't know, Anna Sroken or Anna Delvey, you know, you covered her trial, and in that time, 
through your reporting, and I'm, I'm just going to take it from your article here, seeing, uh, quote, inventing Anna, here's what it gets right and wrong. You summarize it really beautifully here. Uh, through the evidence, uh, it showed that she stole a private jet, built banks, hotels, and associates out of about $200,000. She did all this while attempting to secure a $25 million loan from a hedge fund to create an exclusive arts club, swindling her way into a life of luxury. Sorokin deceived Manhattan's elite into believing she was a German heiress worth 60 million euros. So far more than $60 million. So is Anna Delvey still that same person? What is Anna Delvey like now? Well, I think the first thing that you have to keep in mind is the fact that Anna is still behind bars. She served her minimum sentence, uh, was released for six weeks, and is now back in ICE detention. So I think it's hard to judge if someone has changed and if they're the same person while they're still incarcerated because they aren't really given the chance to prove themselves, right? You can talk to somebody, you can say, oh, they sound changed, or, oh, you know, I'm noticing these differences between the different years that we've talked. But, um, you know, until she's, you know, back out, it's really hard to see, you know, is she the same con artist or is she, you know, Anna Delvey 2.0, as she likes to call herself. <laughs> uh, and so you actually interviewed her recently. And you also have a New York Times article about this as well, titled uh, Anna Sorokin on Inventing Anna and Life After Rikers. The interview that you asked her, because I want to follow up on the ice point here, she said that ICE came to see her three times starting in December of 2020, and the final time they just let her know, we're not interested in you. Can you talk about what? What, what does that even mean? So, I mean, the way I understood it, because of COVID, she was you know, released back out. Um, she had served her minimum sentence. The parole board felt that she was sufficiently sorry for her actions. And, you know, there have been all sorts of issues with uh, detention centers in the midst of the pandemic. In fact, the very uh, detention center that she's at has had a number of outbreaks. Um, no one's been given their uh, COVID-19 boosters. Um, there's a whole lot of, uh, the ACLU has gotten involved. There's a lot of problems with the ICE detention facilities and keeping um, incarcerated people, some of whom don't actually aren't actually serving time for criminal sentences, safe during this time. So she was released sort of, as I understand it, with the idea that like, they just didn't have room and it wasn't really safe for her to be there. And then she was put back behind bars because they decided that as she had told me in 2019, she really still wasn't sorry. And they, they decided that the parole board had gotten it wrong and that uh, she needed to be back, uh, back behind bars. Uh, she sort of told me that she understood that the, the big reason she's like, nothing changed. I didn't commit any additional crimes in those six weeks. You know, they already knew about the crimes I committed because that was why I was, you know, there you know, behind bars in the first place. The only thing that changed was, you know, she was busy giving interviews. She, you know, in those six weeks, she gave an interview to 2020. We chatted three times. She was constantly, you know, corresponding with the media and her social media was just, you know, a total, there really aren't words. Uh, she said, she said a lot of things that were incredibly <laughs> hyperbolic and offended a lot of people. Um, you know, she says, you know, going to jail is the new sex tape, uh, <laughs> referring to the idea that she uh, would be deported back to Germany. She said, you know, I'll go back to Germany when black people get reparations. I mean, she was saying things that really I like that she said jail's a new sex tape. It's like you got that new Mandela sex tape. It's 27 years long. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, speaking of crazy things, is she uh, anti-vax potentially? Does she believe oh, no. in COVID? She, 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 believe in COVID? W- she was vaccinated. She requested a booster. She was denied a booster and she got COVID what? Uh, while in ICE detention. And what? she has been corresponding with the ACLU, although that lawsuit was already in the works. So she's not officially a part of it and they're not representing her, but she has been in communication with them about her. And is Shonda Rhimes going to do a... Um you know, something about how she was at the top of high society. And then by the end of this story, she was in a ICE detention center during the Trump administration. (laughs) Well, uh, Anna has said that, you know, her ICE detention would make an excellent season two. So. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Before we actually dive into the specifics of the show, can we talk about all the different, you know, when you interviewed her, there was a question here that I really liked. It's like, does crime pay? And and she basically said she said yes it does. Other if she didn't say yes she'd be lying. But I guess my question for you is with all the money that she owes out there, does crime pay well? Okay, there's sort of two questions there. Let's start with the with the crime paying. Um, the BBC interviewed her. I think it was during the six weeks of freedom, and they said, "Does crime pay?" And she says yes. And the thing about Anna that I think people have to kind of keep in mind is that she when she's telling the truth she tells a really uncomfortable truth that like the rest of us would maybe like keep to ourselves and reword, you know, to make it like easier on the ears. She told me that she was referring to her own, you know, circumstances and in her circumstances, her crimes did pay. You know, she got a Netflix series made out of her. Truthfully speaking, crime did pay um, her. She did also say though, you know, I'm not saying crime pays generally. Okay. The other part of that question is, you know, does it pay well? So New York has the son of Sam law, which means that she did not directly get any of the money. She sold her life rights to Netflix for $320,000, which more than covered all the money that she owed based on her criminal convictions. So what you have to remember is there were 10 counts in the original in the original indictment, and she was found guilty of um, about 200,000 of that. Uh, So for instance, that $60,000 trip or $62,000 trip to Marrakesh with, you know, Rachel Williams, that doesn't count because she was found not guilty of that. So of the crime she was found guilty of about $200,000, that's what she had to pay back. The son of Sam law means that the money went directly to the victims. It, you know, went into like an escrow account and they were paid out first uh, and everything else went to her legal bills. So you could say that it retroactively financed her Germanaris lifestyle. Absolutely. Does does every con artist who does that, you know, get that? No. Um, but, you know, in her circumstances, it did. It did pay. Of course, you know, the money that Netflix is making off of this series, probably far more than three hundred twenty thousand dollars. So, you know. Right. I think it was uh, yeah, $320,000. And then she paid uh, $198,000 in restitution. And then Todd Spodek got the rest, apparently, which I think Todd, did it Todd get a, I think we got to look this up. Did Todd get a producer credit on the show? I think he, he did. He was a right? consultant. I'm not sure that he got it. Uh, so that's, he got broken off. He got a piece. He's definitely, he definitely got to go show up to set and get crafty for free. We see you, Todd. We see you. Okay, so let's talk about the show. The Inventing Anna was released just last week, and it's number one on Netflix. Just real quick, did you ever think it would be the number one show on Netflix? Did you anticipate? You know, you knew it was Shonda Rhimes, but did you think it was going to be this big? I mean, it was Shonda Rhimes and it was Anna Delby. So, 
I mean, if there was something better than number one, I would have assumed it would have gotten that. Um, Shonda Rhimes, you know, shines at just about everything she does. And uh, Anna always holds people's interest. Awesome. And so to kind of get us into the show, Hazel wanted to play the trailer for the show so we could all take a look at it. Uh, Hazel, do you want to cue the trailer? I might have a story. Her name is Anna Delvey or Anna Sorokin. No one's sure. She's either a rich German heiress or she's flat broke. The charges are insane. Anna committed real white collar felonies while posing as a socialite in an attempt to steal millions of dollars. Hi, Anna. I just had some questions. I have a question. What's you wearing? You look poor. She is everything that is wrong with America right now. I am famous. People are painting a public picture of me as some criminal. That's not my story. What is your story? I'm a cold Yes, I'm a cold piece. Anna came to New York. No rich parents, no connections. Sometimes you gotta fake it till you make it. Now we get to the good part. Can I take your order? I'm a servant with a warning. Yeah. Anna is a legend around here. You have to work hard to get what you want. I've always known that. I'm building something as a private club. A step beyond the VIP room. It's 40 million to finance. We have two banks interested in loaning her the money. Holy shit. To building something special. Do it on it, on it, do it on it. $40 million loan? How in the hell does that happen? Do it on it, do it on it, on it, do it, do it. Maybe it's what's help if you stop thinking about me like everyone else. Like basic, you know? What do you guys think? The most expensive resort in Morocco. I realized the clues were there all along. She put it all on my cards. Give me back that money, please. Why are you being like this? So dramatic. With an attitude, Image, money, power. Everyone is hustling. Real hot girl. Every day, men do far worse things than anything I've allegedly done. Anna stole a jet. What's going on? Who are you? Anna Delvey is a masterpiece, bitches. And they can just all... I'm a cold... Yes, I'm a cold piece. Looking for a Mr. Freeze to get froze like me. Emily, I have a question. Uh, does Anna Delvey really sound that much like Tommy Wiseau, the director of The Room? <laughs> no. No, she does not. Um, actually, the first the, the first episode that I saw, I was like, what, what is happening, right? You know, the first time I, I saw the series, I had not talked to Anna in a year. We had talked a few times while she was out. And so I was like, well... Like she does have like a distinctive accent for sure. And, and it's one of those, you know, accents that you can't really place. So I was like, am I like misremembering it? I was like, but I feel like I would remember that. So I got on the phone with her and um, I got on the phone with her a lot. I got on the phone with her 21 times. Uh, <laughs> I, my my call bill to, to um, Orange County Correctional Facility is $191.30. We, we talked for many hours. And one of the things that I asked her to do was I was like, all right, I'm taking these like lines of dialogue from the trailer and then I just need you to say them back to me. And she did. And I like compared them and I was like, yeah, totally different. And I did say, though, well, you know, in that you can't really place it. She got it right. And for like a dramatized version, um, you know, 
Anna also suggested that, you know, she's been in the States longer, you know, behind bars and that her English might have improved. <laughs> so uh, she's like, it might be that like, that's more like how I sounded back in, you know, 2017. I was like, fair enough. But it, it you know, talking to her now, it is, is quite different. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. You know, it's amazing. Like they, they really were able to create nine hour long episodes. Like the last episode's like an hour and 20 minutes. It's so, they really dramatized a lot of it. How accurate did you feel like the show was? And we can really get into this now because I think this is important. You know, we're a research-based show here at Frosters and we like to get things right. I will say just in defense of my personal favorite, Aryan Moyab, who portrays Todd Spodek, uh, the great Persian actor, Aryan. Uh, there were several things that Todd Spodek in the in the movie did that were wildly unethical. <laughs> just leaving and letting the uh, discovery box just be out in the open for the journalist to look through. That is like instant you disbarment right there. What are some of the other things that you caught that they did not get right in the show? Sure. So, I mean, if you look at... Uh, you know, if, if you start with, you know, uh, sort of the court case, right, uh, the, the sort of premise of the show is that Anna wants to take a plea deal and it's a good plea deal. And in real life, it was a good plea deal. She would have gotten less time. And the journalist says, no, don't do it. I'll make you famous instead. All right. That did not happen. But that would have been wildly unethical had it happened. There are also, you know, scenarios throughout the, the case where um, the lawyer says, you're not getting on the stand, Anna. I'm not going to allow you to do that. Well, technically, if she had said, I want to go on the stand, he, I mean, 
she's in charge, right? Like she gets to go on the stand. But again, that, you know, didn't happen. There are also, uh, you know, scenarios where, um, you know, they say that the journalist and the, the lawyer are collaborating and sharing discovery, not just sharing discovery, but like that she's actually helping catalog the discovery. <laughs> she, the journalist did not, you know, actually the case. At one point, the journalist is like, I want to be a part of the team. To the extent that you can, you know, reporters are supposed to be as unbiased as possible, which doesn't mean that they have to be, you know, completely inhuman, but it does mean that, like, you're not cataloging the discovery for the con artists that you're writing about, right? Were there parts of the show that you found particularly enjoyable, knowing, like, the truth behind all of this stuff? What was kind of, like, your favorite part or maybe favorite character that really you were like, ah, I love the way they did this? Well, maybe to, you know, reverse engineer that, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about Todd, really enjoyed his character. He would definitely want me to come on the show and, and make sure everybody knows that he is not from Long Island. From- <laughs> he told me he thought the uh, the only reason they must have changed that because he is so proud of his Brooklyn roots is that they just could not nail the Brooklyn accent. Um, but speaking of accents, Anna was like, that sounds exactly like Todd. <laughs> um, so, you know, everybody has their own their own opinion there. I think... It was it was really fun seeing his character with hair. Um, <laughs> Todd himself is actually bald. And that was maybe one of the hardest things for me to get past <laughs> was that, you know, in this, in this series, Todd had hair. But his care, his character, and I'm not talking about the the ludicrously, you know, terrible things that he did that, you know, pushed aside in the show. But just like his character and his passion about the case was was spot on. Mm. Um and his like very tight relationship with Anna was spot on. And that was, you know, interesting certainly to see. Yeah, when we interviewed Todd, he was like Anna's my girl. I mean, Anna's my girl. You know, we had a great rapport and we still have a great rapport. And she was like, look, we're going to war here. And I was like, yeah, we're going to war. Let's do this. And they're like you could tell that there was like a really good tight relationship there and he just seemed like he really got along with her well and was fighting for her. was was the amount of discovery was the case that kind of like a a David versus Goliath type of a thing. Well, you know, I also didn't help catalog the discovery. <laughs> I was like that. So I don't know how much discovery you know in total there was. But what I will say is this was a longer this was a longer case than you would normally see in court. It it spanned about a month. That's um, and. That's a long time for a trial. Uh, and part of, the, of that was the evidence. I mean, she, you know, fabricated uh, financial statements, right, on Photoshop. You know, they had a, lots of different documentation that they could show. And there were lots of different people that were affected in many different facets from the banks to the, you know, her personal friends. Also, the other reason it was so long was, was not just the evidence, but the fact that like that evidence itself was really hard to parse through and understand for normal people who, you know, in their free time don't fabricate bank statements. <laughs> so for the jury, they had to be like, here's how here's how she did it. Here's, you know, what this means. These are the documents that you need to get to this this stage and this stage and this stage, because, you know, most New York jurors, myself included, uh, you know, have never applied for a twenty five million dollar loan. Of so, course, these are things. naturally, you know, one of the things they did in the show was that Anna used a uh, ghost sim and then disguised her voice in talking with um, the lawyer that was kind of trying to approve the loan. Good to speak again, Mr. Henneke. Anna tells me you've been making progress in New York. We have two banks very interested in her proposition and in loaning her the money. Excellent news. I presume you'll need paperwork regarding her trust. I had conversations with Henneke. I spoke with the man. 
she bought a virtual sim to run a German number and used a voice distorter app. Five dollars on iTunes. There never was a Peter Henneke. That's something. Did I? Did we miss that? Was that? Did that really happen? That was not something that I remember coming out in trial. I could believe it or not. What came out in trial was that uh, there were lots of emails. Uh, emails, right? With Peter okay, good. I was like really beating myself up if I missed an entire voice distortion bit. <laughs> I'm not saying it didn't happen. It wasn't something that I was aware of. Um, but yes, she had lots of, you know, um, fake associates, Peter Henneke and Bettina Wagner. Would you mind FaceTiming Anna right now just so we could ask her that question? <laughs> you know, that's also not how it works. You know, the house calls is like it's one way for sure. It's when she wants to call me and you better be at your phone or you miss it. Uh, So overall, though, do you think it was like a fair portrayal of Anna besides the accent, which I I still think is pretty funny. But besides the accent and stuff, Emily, what did you think about uh, Julia's portrayal of Anna in general? The accent was a little off, but it was also it definitely gives viewers who don't know Anna the chance to see that this is like a different voice. Right. Like she is very distinctive. And in that way, it's correct. Uh, It's distinctive. It's it's, you know, hard to place. Uh, and that way you get kind of the essence of Anna. Um, certainly this very cold exterior and not really caring what you think um, is something that I, I think particularly at that time in Anna's life was very much true. I think some of that is changing a little bit, but in, you know, again, this was a Netflix series about only a few years in her mid twenties and it captured, I think that part of her very well. I think Anna can say very mean things. Mm. Um, Anybody who's talked to her for any period of time, she's hurt my feelings before, right? Like she'll say things that are like, oh, why did you say that? But, you know, overall, like the, you know, I think she was made out to be a little meaner than, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call her mean. I would say that occasionally she says mean things. This version of Anna, it seemed to be sort of a constant flow of uh, meanness and, you know, Anna did say, well, like, you know, I hope I'm not that way. I wouldn't want to be friends with myself if I were. So I think that she sort of recognized that that was sort of a, a slightly different um, version. But again, I didn't know 2017 Anna. I met her in 2019. You know, she'd already been in jail for some time at that point. People change. Do you want to share? Wait, wait, do you want to share like what mean thing she said to you? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to. I, what there? OK, there was. <laughs> this is back in 2021. She she was only nice in 2022. Uh, but six weeks while she was out, um, we were doing a couple of different interviews. And 2021 for me, like I think for many people, was just like a hard year for me. And I was like going through a lot and I was balancing interviews with her in the midst of like this trial that was connected to um, like a narco trafficking case with the president of Honduras. And I was just like in many places, right, in my head. And we had a call and I like, I hadn't researched like something that she had mentioned briefly. And she's like, Emily, you're the reporter. Like, you know, like, how have you not researched this? And I was like, well, Anna, like, you know, I have other things that I have to do besides just your story. You know, But afterwards I was like, oh gosh, like, I'm a terrible reporter, um, you know, <laughs> but it, it was one time. It's certainly not the the onslaught that uh, the fictionalized reporter got. I have a question. What's you wearing? You look poor. 
you know, constantly calling yeah. or anything like that. That was crazy. <laughs> that was very uncalled. I started feeling uncomfortable when she kept saying that. I, I honestly, I honestly doubt that that happened. But again, I've never been pregnant in front of Anna. So I, you know, I can't fact check that one. We'll come back on the show after that does happen. We would love to hear what, happened, what she says. I'll let you know. Do you think she was, do you think she's like remorseful, from, you know, from all of this? Like the real... The real Anna now, you said she's changed. I said that she appears to have changed (laughs) and that we we cannot judge until she's out from behind bars and given the chance to prove herself. We need proof. proof. (laughs) I like that. Trust, but verify. I dig it. Okay. I always like to believe that people have the capacity to change. Mm. You also need the proof behind that to, to see that it, that it has occurred. Certainly her outlook has changed over the years. Um, when I spoke to her in 2019, she was not sorry. I mean, we we spoke for a couple of hours over a couple of different interviews at Rikers and it was, you know, our first interactions together. So she didn't know me as well. And I think it was sort of like the story she wanted to portray and she wasn't sorry. And that was it. We reconnected in 2021 when she was out um, for those six weeks and we talked a few times and she was like super joyful as anyone would be after getting out of jail. And so at that point, again, I don't think she was really thinking remorse. I think it was more just trying to like move on. That's when her Instagram was, you know, Anna Delvey 2.0, reinventing Anna, a a play on the Netflix series. Um, So that was sort of the difference between, you know, Delvey 1.0, Delvey 2.0. But the change that I've really seen was in these set of, you know, 21 phone calls, slews of text messages, you know, in a very, you know, concentrated period of time, um, just in the last couple of weeks. And talking to her then, I do think she's had more time to really think through everything and her perspective, not just getting out of you know prison, but then going right back into a detention facility and feeling that that was like completely unjust and unfair um, and not really, uh, and really like kind of struggling with, with that, not only her own case, but like she's been helping other people who are uh, in the detention facility who don't have lawyers and don't speak English, like feeling that it's like really unjust for just about everybody who's there. I think that she has had time to think back through some of those statements, which have followed her. I mean, the question I asked her, you know, are you sorry, was the first question that she was asked at her parole board hearing was, why did you tell the New York Times that you weren't sorry? I mean, that has definitely followed her. And, you know, and she at this point, and whether this is simply because it's you know helpful for her to say, which, you know, argumentatively it would be, but I think that there is some truth behind it. I think she is starting to sort of see, okay, you know, I'm not about regretting the past. She's definitely not about regretting the past. Uh, I wish I were more like that, right? Like just what's in the past is in the past. You move on. But, oh, you know, she said, I did hurt people. That wasn't okay. You know, my intentions were not you know, what happened, but my intentions weren't enough. Uh, And I think in that way that you see some real growth. But I will also say, whether you're talking about, you know, Delvey 1.0 or Delvey 2.0, she's always been extremely introspective. She, you know, first time we met said, I'm not a nice person. And the question is like, where do you go with that introspection? (laughs) Do you then say, well, let me work on that? Um, or not. She, she's good at the introspection. That's actually a really amazing point because a lot of the fraudsters we see are not necessarily very introspective. They're actually kind of completely delusional and have this very distorted reality. We call it the reality distortion field. But it seems like she was very conscious of what she was doing and 
maybe rationalized it for herself that it was going to be this way. It sounds like she really intended on trying to pay everyone back. Looking back now, where was her head during that time? Conscious? Lying to herself? Delusional? What do you think? I mean, I think that's something that only maybe Anna knows. Or Shonda Rhimes. (laughs) (laughs) Shonda definitely had a lot of thoughts about that. (laughs) That's definitely a big part wrapped into into the series. And I think those thoughts would, would sort of line up with sort of, you know, how I feel about it as well. You know, her lawyer at trial said she intended to pay everybody back. She intended to make everyone whole. She didn't get far enough to do that. And because she didn't get far enough to do that, we don't know. But it, it's, you know, it, it's hard to like go back and say like what would have happened because, you know, even whatever her you know internal intentions were, those could have changed too. So I think it's really sort of an impossible question to ask. I think the more more important question to ask is like, would she do it again? And the introspection that we've, you know, that she has shared with me in the past, you know, few weeks would suggest perhaps not. But until she's out from behind bars and allowed to prove herself, we won't really know. I also like the logic of that is like, your honor, I was going to feed the world when I got caught robbing the World Bank. And the biggest problem was that I did not get a chance to feed everyone. So you should consider that in the course of my bank robbery. Yeah, exactly. You know, so (laughs) she's got this Netflix show now. I see in your interview, she said she's got a documentary project with Ben Mary Productions in Los Angeles and also working on a book about her time in jail and a podcast. Step off, Anna, I will say. Don't encroach on our (laughs) territory. Um, But what... What do you think she's really getting out of all of this fanfare, all of this media attention, all of this stuff, financially, emotionally, personally? What do you what do you think is is really happening? Well, I think a lot of these projects that she shared with me, the documentary, the podcast, the book, a lot of that is about moving on and the next step and the idea of the next chapter of her story. I think it's important to remember that like everyone is more than just one story mm. or one time in their life. I certainly would not want to be judged by my mid twenties as like the last time I got to make a statement about who I was (laughs) with that idea. um, You know, I think that she has a lot more to overcome because, you know, what, you know, what she's talked about with me is the fact that like, you know, her crimes were tied in with the fact that you couldn't trust what she said. So now when she says something else, people still don't trust it. Right. At what point do you say, well, let's look at, you know, the, let's look at the past and like, you know, make some comparisons, which is a smart thing to do, right? You can't just like live like things didn't happen in the past, but also at one point do you say, well, maybe somebody has changed and they're not going to do those things. I mean, it's like one of the big, you know, eternal questions that we have to ask with, you know, any relationship you have with anyone. Anna's having to ask it for like anyone she ever interacts with ever. I find actually going by your real name is a good uh, confidence measure, but I don't think she's I don't think she's going to use the Soroka name, right? But it's her mother's maiden name. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, that is a that is a good point, Justin, Um, that like starting by using your real name might be it might be a good start. And I asked Anna about that last year and her argument there was, you know, um, this is sort of who I'm known as and why start over? Let's like, just like improve who that person is. And, you know, again, like she really seems very uninterested in her, her Russian, you know, childhood. Um, And Sorokina is a 
you know, Russian last name like Smith. So um, that could have something. Yeah, she's like Sting or OJ. You can't rebrand this late in the game. You know? Yes, right. She's like, this is this is who I this is who I've been known as. This is why people are interested. So let's get them interested about something else. One of the things she said is, you know, I have this platform. I might as well use it. Now I like to use it for good. Well, we'll see where all that development money goes. I'm sure we'll go to the restitution of hotel workers and all of the, <laughs> all of those. And the money's just gone. And yeah, the money comes in. It's just gone, man. I mean, that's the thing. I think more of it's going to come in, obviously, but she's got to get out of all these, you know, the various, uh, you know, uh, incarcerations. She's got to get out of ice to be able to touch any of it. So I think that's the, that's the big problem right now. Right? She has now paid everyone back. So, you know, now I guess. I guess she can start actually, as long as it's not, you know, directly tied. Netflix was so directly tied. That would certainly, but I don't know about some of these new projects. I, I feel like at a certain point you have to say, well, somebody has to be able to start well, yeah, over. The Son of Sam so. stuff, I guess the Son of Sam one won't, uh, I guess doesn't apply to ICE incarceration, I guess. Is that, I guess that's maybe different. I, I don't think it, I don't yeah, think that it makes should, sense, actually. but I'm not. Yeah. Speaking of things that uh, I want to check on, man, we missed this Billy McFarland thing. How, how I was just, I wanted to throw myself out a window. What, no. what happened? What is this about? She apparently in the show stayed with Billy McFarlane and he's doing this, all this stuff. And, and then they make this whole like over, was this just all fictional? It's not fully fictionalized. She did live with Billy for a time, wow. like in a penthouse. They didn't talk that much. It was, I think there were lots of people in, in the penthouse. I wouldn't know. I've never lived in a penthouse, <laughs> but she made it seem like there was plenty of space and distance and they, they lived together without really, you know, ever seeing each other. Uh, it was also a different time period. It was a little bit before. So um, she said the last time she'd seen him was like 2014, which was pretty well before the fire festival that they hadn't really talked, but that she'd like, you know, enjoyed talking with him occasionally, you know, in the past, but there was, there was no big, you know, relationship. And like, she, you know, didn't seem to have anything to do with fire. Although I asked a number of questions about it and she finally said, Emily, I'm getting uncomfortable. Oh, with this questioning. Oh so we, you know, we, I, I didn't care that much about Billy. Right. Cause time. she probably thinks Billy's <laughs> kind of trashy as is, is my guess. Right. Can I, can I be so bold as to, don't we all think Billy's I mean, kind of trashy? I mean, I mean, this is like fraudsters, you know, fraudsters.fm <laughs> thinks he's trash. So I think Anna, Anna Delvey does too. <laughs> The other thing we missed, which I don't think is a miss, but it was just something, and I think you know, the boyfriend. Chase, her boyfriend. Wait, her boyfriend? Girl, how do you not know about Chase? Everyone else is woke, but Chase is wake. 26 years. That's how much time the average person spends sleeping. 26 years filled with thoughts and ideas, meaning and magic, nightmares and wonders. When you wake up in the morning, when the sun rises, all it takes is a minute or two, and then all of that knowledge just dissolves, disappears, gone, lost. Imagine, what if instead of losing that time, you could tap into it? I'm asking you, what if I could cloud source your dreams? What is up with this boyfriend? I looked up who this guy potentially could be. I found out that his name potentially, and it could be this guy. And when I looked up his LinkedIn, it seems like it. Hunter Lee so Soik or Soik. Uh, apologies on the pronunciation. But if you looked at his LinkedIn, he's got a TEDx uh, thing or TED Talk. Uh, but he also in his like little LinkedIn one-liner, <laughs> it says, 
One bee cannot build a hive. One ant cannot build a colony. But one fraudster can defraud an entire zip code of millionaires, people. Um, His LinkedIn about page reads like a character description from a Shonda Rhimes show. There was some guy. Well, Shonda Rhimes always likes to give her women a complicated man to, you know, (laughs) things like that. I think a lot of him was fictionalized, but a lot was also true from from my understanding, which is derived completely from uh, Jessica Pressler's reporting. And she's the reporter that um, this show is based off of there. So there was some sort of boyfriend esque man in her life. Um, I add the esque because I did ask. Uh, Emily, did you ever get a chance to talk um, to Anna about this guy or the boyfriend in general? I don't know if it's actually Hunter, but I mean, he's a huge part of the show. Do you want to, you know, elaborate on that? And she did not. And when a woman says she doesn't want to talk about an ex or a man, I, you know, lay off. So we didn't talk about Chase. I thought that was an interesting type of thing. And it's funny, too, because that type of a tech bro is so generic I could throw a rock in Manhattan and hit 10 of them. Half of this interview is just me making feeling feeling good that we did a good job in our initial And series. the other half is, what did we miss? I'm going to throw myself out a window. <laughs> <laughs> so what, okay, so let's take a step back. What does this all mean? You know, Anna's getting, maybe getting deported, but she's incarcerated. This is the story. It's out there now. Shonda Rhimes is now putting this story on the biggest stage in the world. What does this say about society? Anna's an interesting character, and she, she's been interesting you know, long before the, the Shonda Rhimes show, but I think many more people now know of her than, than did before. She was already a, a pretty big name in some zip codes, but like she's now you know, the, uh, of, you know, national and international fame, America, Americans specifically love con artists. Let's just say it right, right out the front. Like, I mean, y'all are making a podcast all about them. Right. (laughs) And, and people love, they either love them or they love to hate them, but it's always love. Um, (laughs) it all goes back to love. People are so passionate about someone that most of them don't know her, you know, like there are a few people where you could say, I get your passion for, you know, loving or hating this person, you know, personal friends or somebody like Rachel who had been a friend, I get having a hard time letting go. But I'm telling you that there were people who were watching Netflix this past weekend. And then they like got on Instagram to tell Anna what a terrible person she was or how they wanted to like name their first daughter after her. I mean, one or the other, you know, like she's a brilliant person. She's a fool because she got caught. She, you know, this, that. We don't need to care about her ice detention because it's not as bad as if she were a gay Pakistani man. That was what one comment was, you know, like all just like all sorts <laughs> of different. Like I didn't make that one up. That was like a specific comment on my Instagram. Like, Damn, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just like it was it was a whole menagerie of like very, you know, viscerally felt passionate comments about someone, most of whom they had not met. And I think that, you know, that's. I mean, that's why the show is doing so well, because you don't have to like like the person as long as you're watching the show, it's doing well. And then people are commenting about it and more people want to see, um, you know, she she is also not like a lot of other con artists. And, and because of this like extra level of introspection and and the, the way that she talks about things, she's almost more interesting. Um, you know, I was, I was saying the other day, I feel like 
a lot of the things she gets in trouble for are because like, she just doesn't have a filter. Mm. Like she says a lot of things that probably other people in her shoes would also feel and they just wouldn't say it. And she says it. And it's like, people are, are really fascinated by the fact that she said it and they're like, horrified and and repulsed and they can't look away and that's you know sort of what her her story the the delvey 1.0 story is is all about we didn't talk about rachel yet which was my favorite on our when we did the series we, i think we made fun of her for like 30 minutes and then hazel had to email us and be like hey guys i think we uh, need to cut this section down. <laughs> we went in on rachel because she she, the show really did go in on her as well. It seemed like as, as well. Here's what you need to remember. All right. If this ever happens to one of you guys, you, you need to keep this you know, in mind. I'm deaf. I have learned a lot from Rachel. All right. She wrote a book. She optioned it off to HBO and Lena Dunham was supposed to do something off of her book um, called my friend, Anna simultaneously ish there was this Netflix series of Shonda Rhimes. So because she's got the HBO you know, deal, she can't, you know, be one of the, you know, contracted people to help out on the Netflix show, obviously. So you definitely don't want to do that. If Shonda Rhimes is going to make a Netflix show, you want to be on the Rhimes team. You don't want to be on anybody else's team because if you're playing for another side, you are going to get lambsted in the show. You know, she was in her, in her twenties um, at the, you know, when she was, you know, friends with, with Anna and she's played by a 39 year old actress, <laughs> which I'm now 30. I'm not hating on 30 year olds, but like that would kind of hurt. And also just like the mature presence of, of the actress made the mistakes that Rachel made in her twenties look even more ludicrously terrible. Right. Because it's like, you just put your company credit card down to pay for your trip to Marrakesh. What kind of 39, oops, I mean, 20 something year old does that, right? Like it, it just like, it didn't marry up. So, I mean, I think the actress did a wonderful job of portraying Rachel. She was actually more relatable in some ways than I have found her to be, you know, on the stand in real life. But this, this, that sort of dichotomy of like, you know, making her seem so much older and therefore you would hope to be wiser it was, was sort of hard to, to swallow. And for many viewers who have no idea who Rachel was, you're looking and you're going, what? Yeah. And, and she didn't get, uh, Anna was never charged or convicted of the, the 60,000 from Marrakesh, which is like, you know, just the beautiful cherry on top that Anne Shonda Rhimes dunked on her in the show. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, the sixty-two thousand dollars trip to Marrakesh—that's that's real life. She was not convicted. Uh, the jury found her to be incredibly. They didn't like her either. Uh, but maybe maybe they consulted for Shonda on Rachel's behalf. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they weren't they weren't fans of Rachel either. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Looking for some amazing TV to stream? Indulge yourself with the hits on Hulu you can't miss. Dive in with Barney, Ted, Robin, and the gang on How I Met Your Mother. All nine seasons are now streaming on Hulu. 
Then you can move to Modern Family, Schitt's Creek, and My Wife and Kids. We're talking every episode and every season of these shows. We're talking huge hits, streaming on Hulu whenever you're in the mood. Now we're talking. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. What's next for Anna? And not just in the future, but what's like the next month or two like for her right now? Anna probably achieves more behind bars than like I do as a non-incarcerated person. She's very, very busy. She she keeps busy and she always has, you know, back when she was at Rikers, now back, you know, in her, uh, you know, detention facility in, in Orange County in Goshen, New York. Um, she's She's constantly... Uh, on top of everything. She has a number of, I'm assuming, not fake associates uh, on the outside who are uh, moving things around for her. So she's, you know, working on a potential book deal. She has this documentary that's coming out that she's in constant communication um, with the folks there doing that. She's been writing. um, And she said that, you know, right now what she's looking to do mostly is, is just write. She says, you know, my, my, uh, cell is very, you know, bleak and I don't have a lot to do. And uh, I write really well in that, you know, in that mindset. So that's what she's sort of been doing. So she's going to uh, become she's... a stand-up comedian is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, she does have a few good lines for sure. She has someone running her her social media and that has, you know, blown, blown up. up yeah. So, um, you know, she definitely is very savvy with like, you know, uh, her brand, even if it's not helpful for you know people believing she's turned over a new leaf, and I think she's looking to move forward past this. Um, you know, she has said repeatedly throughout our conversations that you know she's not the person she was as you know portrayed in the series. That whoever that person was, whether you know she feels that you know it's an accurate portrayal or not, that person is in the past, right? That that's an, that's you know Delvey one if you will, and she is looking to you know go forward and, um, and do more. And so I think that, you know, as much as she can, um, that is, you know, what she's focused on. Of course, obviously she's also focused on trying to get out of detention on, you know, not getting deported to Germany. She very much wants to stay in New York. Last year, she said if she was deported, uh, she would feel like it was a big L on her forehead. (laughs) Um, so, you know, she, she's, you know, in communication with the ACLU, she's, uh, trying to get a new uh, ICE detention lawyer because uh, she's not happy with her her current lawyer. You know, so she's she's got. I mean, this is Anna. She's got a lot of a lot of balls up in there. How long until she's dating Pete Davidson? That's what I'm waiting. For. <laughs> you know, she says she is so sick of all the people asking her about her dating life. 
<laughs> Emily, what's next for you? What do you got going on the horizon? El Chapo's gone. You know, who Who else you got? What, what other mega criminals are you going to be covering? No one is just one story. I think Anna's a good, a good, uh, good example of that. Um, there's, you know, a lot more that has come out of her story since, you know, I first spoke with her and a lot more in the future, I, I do believe. But yeah, I, you know, speaking of El Chapo, I have a big a big piece coming out in a few months um, that I can't talk a lot about, but it's it's connected to El Chapo. I went and spent some some time in Sinaloa, Mexico, a few months ago. I've done some on the ground reporting over the last few years in Mexico, and I have a big piece coming up out um, about that. I can't tell you who I talked to or who I didn't, but it will be a really great piece in a, in a few months. Oh my God. Is this going to be Narcos season 26 or something like that? <laughs> or it's just following you around Sinaloa? <laughs> oh gosh. Um, no, but I did go to a penitentiary in, in Culiacan to, to talk to some folks. So, oh, so uh, Emily, there's some fun reporting. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Amazing. Well, I, before we before we let you go, I just want to make sure if I forgot this. Did you have a favorite part of the show? Mm. Well, there is a nod to our interviews in in the final episode. I am not depicted in the series, but there there is in the ninth and final episode. She does ask about when the New York Times is going to come interview her, and so for those of you who who know, we did talk a few times afterwards. There were fun little little truths that were were thrown in. Um, for instance, also in the ninth episode, there's a drawing that Anna is drawing of the prosecutor in closing statements. I have that drawing. That's the exact drawing that she uh, that she did, in fact, you know, create while while listening to the closing statements. The trips that the reporter took to Rikers and that horrible Q100 bus <laughs> that just just go goes until the line, you know, dies at the end. That felt very viscerally, uh, I wouldn't say it was like a favorite, oh, what fun part, but like, it just felt very real, very deja vu. You know, I also really enjoyed sort of seeing, I liked that you never really fully knew if Anna was going to, um, like thought she would really achieve, you know, what she said or not, um, that some of this is sort of left up in the air. And there was a lot that was fictionalized and dramatized in the show, but that aspect, that, you know, that idea that there was still stuff, even in the fictional version that they just decided was better left unknown. I, I liked that certain, certain parts of the mystery of Anna and Anna's story were left mysterious. Awesome. Emily Palmer, our favorite New York Times reporter and our favorite reporter for the Anna Delvey story. Thank you so much for being with Thank us. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to be on the show. Big thanks to Emily Palmer there. Always love it when she could be in studio. Can't wait for the next time we can have her. Justin, you know, the show is very much a Shonda Rhimes production, you know, with the bouncing back and forth between some kind of broad comedic elements and, and bits there uh, while hitting some like very um, dramatized moments and really kind of like playing up the bad characters, right? Kind of sensationalizing them, which I also think is a bit of a Shonda Rhimes move, like from Scandal or from other shows she's done. What, what did you think overall about the show? Okay, I watched like uh, enough of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Research-based podcast. Here we are, Frosters LPN. Yeah, man. Shonda, like, listen, it's just not my thing. All that dramatic music and all that looking at each other and stuff like that. I did like the fashion designer guy, like, character. Yeah. That guy was cool. The way they muddy the waters kind of on a bad person, I felt that tone kind of coming, and that is a major turnoff. It's like, people like this are, like, evil scammers that, like, violate all of the social bonds. So don't try to, like, spin it as, you know, like, they were just trying to have a dream or they, they were so smart to do this. Or even worse, it's like, this, this world, you know, underestimates women. And it's like, hey, man, don't be trying to put that on there. You know, come on, man. That's not this story. It's actually, I, I, I would say even in a story like this, actually, though, it's not a tale of, of, like, gender empowerment. It's actually, like, kind of the one space where being, like, a white woman might give you the privilege to, like, not give your credit card to, like, a hotel and, like, <laughs> yeah. yell at them. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, it sucks to be a woman, but it's like, I think Anna Delvey actually kind of exploits the spaces where a certain class of woman can get away with all kinds of things. I can't imagine like a minority male version of this story. I think that's something I said. Like, you know, could you imagine a black guy just being like, I'm not giving you a credit card. <laughs> I'm staying in the Four Seasons for a month. <laughs> Writing bad checks. Yeah, I, it felt, I mean, on this show, I know we talk about, we obsessively talk about Frosters on this show, but my hope is that we don't sensationalize what we do. Justin and I both, and Hazel included, don't, like what these people have done, but we like talking about them and bringing light to them so that we don't fall victim personally or that you guys don't, right? I think the idea is to like become more aware of these things that are happening out there because we use such little information now as truth that a little thing like this, like what she was able to do was just talk the talk. She didn't even attempt to walk the walk. She never actually once tried to actually make money <laughs> in any sort of real way at all. She just lied completely. And I'll be honest, I would have probably fallen for it. I am the most like a gullible person, I think. <laughs> and, and it troubles me and it makes me really want to keep doing this show so that I can learn and like not have something like this happen to me. And but at the same time, like I think they didn't ether the rich maybe enough. They did to a certain extent. They made them somewhat unlikable. But at the same time, like the Italian designer was very likable. <laughs> kind of like, and he was kind of a victim, right? He was too embarrassed to actually testify and stuff. Like, like it was it was an interesting way to play. It was definitely made for a TV audience that is obsessed with true crime that wants to see kind of like or, or wants to feel a sensationalized show about like s someone like this. Well, yeah. And so it's just like, it's not really anything to sensationalize. I think this story, what makes it interesting, right. Is that we have a bias against the rich, right? So we don't see them as victims. And so like, that's what kind of makes any like muddying the waters of an unrepentant sociopath, uh, permissible. At yeah. All, right. Yeah. Is the fact that we have no sympathy for rich people. And that's wrong. That's like that's like a bias. It's like just because somebody's rich and a jerk doesn't mean that they should be like defrauded by criminals. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, you should do it the old school way. Like, you know, have your greasy pizza fall on their shoe when you're walking on 7th Avenue. Yeah, it's so funny. It's like it's like this is it's like this is like this weird space where like I'm defending like the 1%, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I it is sad. I hate it when we we are put in those positions where it's like why did you make why did you put me here? World, why did you put me here? I don't want to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you haven't been totally oversaturated with everything on Anna already, check out our series from last season. We really get into the weeds on it. I thought it was really fun to do, and uh, Hazel did a real bang-up job on those episodes as well. We really got into the nitty-gritty of the Griffs and, and Anna's backstory and, and all the good stuff that uh, you've been craving. Uh, oh, one thing we did mention, I'm glad they I'm glad they did Ether Rachel, though, because that's the one person I didn't, none of us felt bad about. And then, I know we talked about this on the interview, but, like, I just want to say that again. Like, she's just such an unsympathetic character in both real life and the show. And it's like, I hope they do it. I think HBO, she sold her show to HBO, so they're going to do another thing on Anna. So, I mean, this is just, this is not, not going to end. And hopefully we'll have more interviews of people from the show or from different parts of, of the Anna Sorokin kind of like world uh, to come back on our show. Because I think that would also be really fun to do. Because this story is is wild. All right. That's it for this week. Frosters is a production of Zero Cool Media and the Last Podcast Network. Hazel Bryan produced this episode. Ian Brannon edited. Our associate producer is Anna Laranaga. Emily Fusco is our researcher. Our legal intern is Greg Fingerhut. Our theme music is by Simon Tafik. And some music of this episode was composed by Chris Olson. Thanks again to the amazing Emily Palmer. You can find her reporting on the New York Times and at Emily E. Palmer on all social media. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix.